You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Every dividing line is erased. Now that Jesus is our identity, that is the most important prior to any identity you've ever had, for we are all one in Christ. Jesus has become our common denominator. He has all the common denominators. So as we relate to God on an equal basis, he's talking about our relationship to God. He's talking about salvation. We all relate to God on the same level playing field. Why? Because we are all one in Christ. In your walk with Christ, do you truly see Him as your identity? In today's message, Pastor Dave wants you to know that following Jesus isn't just a religion. It should be your everything. Instead of putting your identity in fleeting things of this world, trust fully in Him. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Esther chapter 1 as he continues his message, The Providential Hand of the Lord. queen has other ideas. Look at verse 12. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by his eunuchs. Therefore, the king was furious and his anger burned within him. One thing you don't do to monarchs is you don't refuse them. You don't say no to the king. Obviously, she did. (laughs) Obviously, she thought, I'm your wife. I can say no to you whenever I want. Whether she was afraid to be in the presence of all these drunken men or she simply had enough pride in herself and dignity not to be treated like property, we're not told. But she refuses to show up. Imagine the insult that this was to the king. He's got all these people in front of him. They're all bagged. They're all half hit and they're all wandering around. And he says, my wife's coming. Where do you see her? How, what a beauty. Where do you see her? And she doesn't show up. And the people come and tell her she ain't coming. Nope. She's not coming. Can you imagine the embarrassment that he's feeling? And what about the men? Wait a minute. This guy wants to be our leader. He can't even get his wife to obey him. He's going to be our leader. Now, I don't think we're following this guy. And you, hey, you got to give Queen Vashti a little credit for standing up for, for, for herself. You got to give her a little credit for standing up. As, as ill-advised as it might have been, you got to give her credit for standing up. You know, on one hand, she gave little thought to the possibility of failure of a military campaign as a result of her actions. That wasn't on her mind. She was not going to her, allow herself to be abused. She wasn't going to allow herself to be on display. That's what she thought. So the king's, the queen's actions, get this, the queen's action, because of this, the king is frantic and he's got to have a meeting of his cabinet right away. He doesn't know what to do with himself. So let's look at 13 through 15. Then the king said to the wise men who understood the times, for this was the king's manner towards all those who knew law and justice, those closest to him, bring Karstaya, Shethef, Amalathat, all those guys, seven princes of Persia and Media, 
who had access to the king's presence and who ranked highest in the kingdom. What shall we do to Queen Vashti according to the law? Because she did not obey the command of King Ahasuerus brought to her by the eunuchs. He's looking for a law. He's looking for a loophole that he can use to get at this woman. He's looking for something that he wants to do. The queen's action now required an emergency cabinet meeting of the king's most, most closest people. She had refused to obey a direct command from the king. And once again, I say that had it been anybody else, they probably would have lost their head right there on the spot. Probably would have lost their head right there on the spot. This was so serious but it seems that there was no precedent. There's no precedent set. So he kept, kept on asking them, where's the law here? What does the law say so I can, I can do something? They needed to come up with one fast. They didn't want the king to lose face among the other nations. He's standing there. He's standing there with his bare face hanging out, and he doesn't know what to do. He's standing there, and he's got mud on his face. He's got egg on his face. He doesn't know what to do. His queen has basically snubbed him. She won't come out, and they're telling him, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, this guy, Menhunkan, speaks first. Let's look at 15 through 19. What shall we do? The queen Vashti, according to the law, because she did not obey the command of King Ahasuerus, brought to her by the eunuchs. And Memukan answered before the king and the princes, Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but also all the princes and all the people who are in all the providences of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will become known to all women so that they will despise their husbands in their eyes when they report King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to come to be brought before him and she did not come. This very day, the noble, uh, noble ladies of Persia and Media will say to all the king's officials that they have heard of the behavior of the queen. Thus, there will be excessive contempt and wrath. If it pleases the king, let a royal decree go out from him and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it will not come be altered, that Vashti shall come no more before King Ahasuerus and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So it's been decided. Been decided. Let's get rid of her. Let's get her out before she causes more problem. I love this guy's thinking. They didn't just embarrass you. They embarrassed the whole gang. They embarrassed all of us. She put us all down. How dare she? You going to let her get away with this? If you get let, let her get away with this, it's going to spread the other woman. We'll have a revolt on our hand. And you people thought women's libs started this year, this, this century. You think women's libs started in this century. No, 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 no. Way back to when. Don't tell me, young. Come on. These guys were afraid. If, if, if this goes out, we're not going to be able to get our wives to do anything. Come on, we got to do something. Like I said, this was the first liberation movement from the women. Come on. Notice the proposal in verse 19 through 22. If it pleases the king, let a royal decree go out from him and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it will, it will not be altered. That Vashti come no more before the king Ahasuerus and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. When the king's decree which he will make is proclaimed throughout all his empire for it is great, all wives will honor their husbands both great and small. And, they, and the reply pleased the king and the princes and the king did according to the word of Mechunim. Then he sent letters to all the king's providences, to each province in its own script, and to every people in their own language, that each man should be master of his own house and speak the language of his own people. Now you have to remember the condition of these guys when they're making these rules. They're plastered. 
They're making all these rules and they're all drunk. I mean, they've been partying for 180 days. Partying for 100 days, let's, let's do seven more. Sure, why not? You're buying, I don't care. They're all plastered. So in this one act of rebellion, Vashti loses her royalty. She loses being queen. She was queen no more and never allowed to come into the presence of the king again. And I'm sure that ladies all over the kingdom praise her for strength and courage. But she paid a heavy price. And like I said, and had she been anyone else other than the queen, she would have lost her life. And you'll see as the story unfolds that the hand of God will be clearly with this fortress. He was doing this. God was letting this thing happen and playing out so that a young virgin girl could come in and take the queen's place and become queen of all the land and have mighty and strong power, power enough to save her people. But this gives us an idea of the moral character of this king. Please keep in mind that this law has nothing to do with God's spiritual laws. We don't read anything spiritual about this at this time. This was a pagan king. It was a pagan society who just enacted a pagan law to please his pagan pride. But even in this situation, God is going to work. We discount God thinking he only works in certain situations. We discount God thinking, oh, he can only work like this. He can only do it like this. And we put God into a box, thinking he has to work in this way because this is the ways he's worked before. We, we can't expect him to work through these people. Well, if you remember, God spoke through a donkey. God can do whatever he wants because he's God. And we have got to give him that authority in our lives. We have got to give him that sovereignty in our lives. You do what you want. It's, we're your children. You do what you want. You are sovereign. And we also, anyone, any one of us, in any type of authority, in any position, whether it be in this church, whether it be in this community, whether it be in this state, whether it be in the United States, any authority, we need to know that all authority comes from God. All authority. And I can prove that. When Paul was writing to the Roman church in Romans 13, In verse 1, he says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. God appoints authorities. God appoints people. And we have said this before when we studied the first and second kings, and we studied Chronicles. God gives the people leaders that they deserve. You can see all through Scripture... When people came against God, they didn't get a good job. It didn't happen very well for them. People who thought they were in control. Pharaoh thought he was in control. I'm not going to let these people go. That didn't work out real good for him, did it? Nebuchadnezzar thought he was in control. He ends up eating grass like a cow. He ends up doing all kinds of things. Shennacherib had to be taught a lesson at the Gary Gates of Jerusalem in Isaiah 36 and 37. King Agrippa in the New Testament had to learn this lesson. He dies and is eaten by worms. Every man or woman who has a position of authority must know and must believe that they are only second in command. We answer to a higher authority. Your leadership of this church answers to a higher authority. Jesus Christ is the head of this church. And he is the global authority for this church. And we answer to him. We answer to him. And as we go through this interesting and beautiful book, we're going to find out that King Ahasuerus 
could control almost everything. He can control almost everything except himself. He was easily influenced by his advisors, and he's going to be influenced, and he made impetuous decisions, which he came to regret. And he always wanted his own way, and he was always susceptible to flattery. Scripture speaks highly of flattery. Don't get excited when people flatter you. Watch out. But when you look at the two evils being mentioned in this chapter, what are they? Can anybody tell me one? What are the two evils that we just looked at in this chapter? Pride, okay. That wasn't what I was thinking of, but you're right. Pride was obviously there. Absolutely, maybe there's three. What else? Gluttony, there's four. Haven't gotten to the two I thought of. What else you got? Pride, gluttony, sure, they're here. What else? How about drink? How about drink? How about anger? How about anger? When, when you've been drinking for 180 days and you decide that you're going to drink for another seven, I could imagine there's an anger there. I can imagine you might get angry easily, you know? Who knows? You want to see a fight? Put a pool table out. Anyhow, these are two powerful forces that have been brought about more destruction in our society than any statistics tell you. Alcohol, drink, pride, gluttony, all of them put together come out with so much more in our society. We have to be careful of that. And you know what? I was led to this, and I'm not really sure, but the Holy Spirit speaks and I follow. So in Proverbs 23, there's this great, really incredible, incredible verses. Beginning in 29 of Proverbs 23, and through the rest of the chapter, listen to this. He said, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of the mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mass, anything. They have struck me and I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I feel it. When I, when I awake, I seek another drink. Come on, come on. Solomon is hitting it hard here. He reminds us of the ill effects of alcohol and the ill effects of intoxicating drugs. What do they bring? Look at it. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? That's arguing. That's fighting. Who has complaints? They bring all these things. They bring contentions. They bring complaints. They bring wounds and redness of the eyes and not being able to think clearly. Unrestrained, immoderate use of alcohol and abuse of drugs will bring sorrows in your life. They only lead to sorrow. They only lead to sorrow and I can't tell you how many tragedies have come from that. Tragic things. Those who linger long at the wine. A picture of those who abuse alcohol or other intoxicants. Those who are always looking for a stronger drink. It sparkles in the cup. They like the looks of it. My wife and I enjoyed the series The West Wing. It was a series that ran on TV for a long time, for seven years. We liked it, and it's, it's really cool. We like it. And we just recently binged watched it again, all seven seasons. Don't ask me why, but we did. But one of the main characters is an alcoholic. And somebody was talking to him about alcohol. And they said something like, well, 
can't you just have a drink? And he said, you don't understand. I just don't want a drink. And then he started talking. And it was really interesting. It really, you know, I'd love to, love to tape it and show it sometime to some people. Because he says, you know the feel of a glass? I'm talking about a real good glass with a hard bottom. He says, I love it to hear the ice cubes fall into the glass. I love to hear the ice cubes fall in the glass. I like that when they make that sound falling into the glass. And then you take and you pour just enough in there and you have it covering the ice and it kind of glistens and simmers. Isn't that what Solomon's talking about? He's talking about the, it's enticing. It's enticing taking the wine and swirling it. Oh, look at that. It looks so beautiful. It looks so good. It's enticing. And it draws us in and it sucks us in. And after all of a sudden we've had too much and... I don't know, but anger usually seems to follow. Anger usually seems to follow. Wine can be pleasing on many labels, how it looks, how it smells, how it tastes, even how it makes you feel. These are aspects of intoxicants that never justify their unrestrained moderate. You always want more. How it swirls around smoothly. And then Solomon says, but it bites like a serpent. Bites like a serpent. Man, the abuse will bite and sting it destroys relationships, it destroys lives, it destroys people, and it will just tear us apart. Your eyes will see strange things, your heart will utter perverse things. Why would he say my heart, my heart doesn't speak? Ah, what does Jesus say? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Remember? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. He says you'll be like the person who lies down in the midst of the sea. The person who abuses drugs or alcohol will drown in their sin and drown in their misery. They'll be like the person on a sinking ship who decides it's danger. They'll be like the person on the Titanic when they say, we're sinking, we got to pray. Has it come to that? Is it really sinking? We live in denial, unable or unwilling to see the danger. He says, they were struck me, but I wasn't hurt. The only thought is that they may seek another drink. I wanted to point that out because it's important that you know that any one of us can fall to a plague of this. Any one of us can fall to a plague. The Bible doesn't come against drinking as such. It comes against being drunk with wine. But if you have a propensity towards that, you have to be careful. I have chosen not to drink. I have chosen not to drink because I think the Lord has shown me not to drink. And I don't, and I don't want to. But that's me. The Lord showed me individually. He knows that I can't handle even one. And I think it's important that we look at it that way. And remember that it bites like a serpent. It bites like a serpent. Before we end, we're not going to go any further than this one chapter. I want to point something out of note. We joked, at least I did, I joked about women's liberation. I joked about that. But in reality, the gospel of Jesus Christ has helped to liberate and elevate women in society wherever it's been preached and wherever it has been obeyed. The gospel of Jesus Christ has elevated women, and I can prove that in a, in a scripture that Mark and I quote a lot, that we look at, that means so much to us. I'm going to read from verse 26 through verse 29 in Galatians 3. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you who are as baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is regarding our standing in God before Jesus Christ. Every dividing line is erased. 
Now that Jesus is our identity, that is the most important prior to any identity you've ever had, for we are all one in Christ. Jesus has become our common denominator. He has all the common denominators. So as we relate to God on an equal basis, he's talking about our relationship to God. He's talking about salvation. We all relate to God on the same level playing field. Why? Because we are all one in Christ. We are all one in Jesus Christ. I don't care who you are. If you're Billy Graham or whoever you are, we are all one. And sometimes you might not think you have more, you might not have access. Sometimes you might think you have more access, but you don't. We all have the same access. We all have the same time with God. We can come to God at any time, 24-7. We can come boldly into the throne room of grace and ask and, and look for mercy. We all have that through Jesus Christ. People say, I can't. Oh, you can. As a child of God, through faith in Christ, you have access to God. And it doesn't make any difference between your background. It doesn't matter about your background. It doesn't matter who you were. It doesn't matter about anything. It doesn't matter about male or female, uh, Jew, Greek. Greek was barbarian at that time. It doesn't matter. We're in Christ. That's what is. And, and there's no male superiority in Christ. Now, yes, in the church, they have given us positions of leadership, but that's in the church. I'm talking about our relationship with God. I'm talking about a relationship with God and the relationship that you have with God. Your relationship with God is the same relationship that I have with God. I'm not any more special than you are with God because we're all one in Christ. Do you see what I'm trying to say here? In this thing, we can't draw any lines. We can't draw lines, and we have drawn lines between denominations, between races, between nations, between political parties. We draw lines in economical classes. God doesn't. God doesn't draw any lines. He doesn't draw any lines. He looks at us all as the same, equal, equal in him, equal in Christ. And I want to leave that with you because it's important to think about that as we go into the rest of this book, the rest of this incredible book. Different roles for male and female in the church. But we're all equal when we stand before God. We are all equal when we stand before God. And you need to leave knowing that. There are no differences. Like I said, there are differences in the role functioning. But when we're standing through God, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are all on the same playing field. And we're all going to be judged the same way. All going to be judged the same way. What did you do with my son? What did you do with my son? Did you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Did you believe in his sacrifice on the cross? Did you believe that I raised him from the dead on the third day? What did you do with my son? That's what we're going to be judged on. All of us. All of us. And I know there are other things, there are other, other things about some people being judged more harshly, like teachers and things like that. I understand that. But for salvation, I'm talking about salvation here. He has given us everything for life and godliness. There's no qualifier there. He's only given this group everything. Hasn't given everything to this group, but this group he's given everything. That's not the way it works. For we are all one in Christ, and we need to remember that. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ, because he is an equal salvation employer. You are When you read the story of Esther, all of it seems to happen rather quickly. Ten short chapters tell the whole story. But when you slow down and do a closer reading, you'll find that over a decade passed between the time Esther was chosen queen and the rest of the story. 
Years and years before the crisis, God moved Esther into exactly the place he needed her to be in order to save his people. This gives the whole story a much larger perspective when you consider Mordecai's words, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Have you been in the same place for many years without a clue as to why you're there? Don't forget that God moves his people into position so that they're there and ready right when he wants them. Don't get discouraged in the waiting. He knows you're there and he knows why. You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. As Pastor Dave works his way through the book of Esther, we're learning more and more about God's plans and purposes through history and through your life today. A Sure Hope comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. To learn more about the church, including service times and location, head on over to assurehoperadio.com. Once again, that website is assurehoperadio.com. While you're there, check out the links to our live stream on Facebook and YouTube, as well as our archive of messages for today's Christ follower. Thanks for being here today. We'll see you back here again next time on A Sure Hope.